Are movie theaters about to die? That no. And our top Christmas or holiday movies on this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And we're inside our little cave again. Not on the road this time. Not on the road. This is our breakfast episode. (laughs) We're eating breakfast as we speak Paul is Paul is a great provider of breakfast, just in case anybody was wondering. Yeah, Yeah, it's way early in the morning, though, so I'm a little Mm -hmm. punchy. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this podcast is going to sound like. Did you say punchy? Punchy. All right. I didn't know you got punchy early in the morning. Oh, I do. Like, who do you punch? No. <laughs> Have you not heard that phrase? I've heard the phrase, but I'm, yeah. I'm, just, no, I'm, I'm just stringing it along. Yeah, no, I think uh, punchy is just, yeah, I can get a little bit off topic, sort of <laughs> like we're going right now. <laughs> mm, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, uh, if, you, if, you've missed, if you've missed the memo, we're in the thick of the holiday season i know that may be heresy for some of you to hear but look we got a bunch of holidays we had thanksgiving oh yeah we had yeah. christmas new year's after that there are a bunch of holidays i don't mind calling it the holiday season yeah no no it's fine to say happy holidays it really is just fine you know there was a it was like i was having this discussion with uh, a couple of people and my dad made the point that like, why do we get so happy when these stores decide to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays? Because really, it's just a sales tactic. Right. Really, they're just using Jesus, in the sense, Christ, yeah. Christmas, Christmas, to sell us stuff by yeah. saying, oh, we we know the reason for the season because we, we say Christmas. Now, come buy our special deal and consume the heck out of this holiday. Well, and when you think about it, I, this is really the time of year when everybody goes a little bit insane. You know, they get very upset about things that they really shouldn't be getting upset about, in my opinion. It's true. You know, and I I think that when you're talking about happy holidays, when you think about the root for the word holidays, that's holy day. Right. So what What? is up with all this anger? I think that the Christmas war should be, you know, a truce. We need a truce. Let's just put it to bed. Let's just say... Agree to disagree. Or, you know what? Agree to be friends. Agree to be friends. Something like that. Is that too <laughs> is that too polyamish <laughs> of me? Do we Can't still we all just get along? Like Especially gonna, at Christmas time. We're not gonna know what to do with ourselves if we're not fighting over Starbucks cups. Well, it's true. I mean, I really, this is a whole other podcast, and I could fill it, man. Because I just don't I just don't get being upset with Starbucks cups. Sure. I just don't get it. They're a business. They can do what they want. It's fine if you like the cups better some years than other years. <laughs> or at another at another coffee shop. Yeah. Or make your own coffee. Yeah, exactly. You know, don't pay four bucks a cup or five bucks a cup, however uh, much you guys pay for Starbucks. We live in a multicultural world, and we have our things that we love, and we should love them, but we don't have to force everybody to go along with them, right? But there is something to be said about the way the holidays kind of bring out the craziness in us and our friends, our families, yeah. our world. Like, we, we just go a little bonkers, which is why I'm excited to talk about our <laughs> Rank Geeks topic yeah. where we're going yeah. to be talking about the best or our favorite holiday movies because there are some 
wacky yeah. ones out there. They are wacky, and we go crazy for them. And we do. Uh, and then later on, uh, after Rank Geeks, we're going to be talking about the the death of movie theaters. Which or, is... I mean, the state of movie theaters. Sorry. I'm not going <laughs> to presume they're dead. Uh, that sounds like a spoiler warning right there. Yeah, no. Uh, I think actually there's, there's going to be stuff that surprises you in our conversation about movie theaters like we think of these entities as just being a thing but there's a lot of cultural significance and oh yeah there's a lot of interesting reasons why they might not be dead but also some powerful reasons why they might be dead so you have to stick around for that but without further ado it's time for rank geeks Welcome inside Rank Geeks, the place where two smelly nerds get together and talk <laughs> about things, smelly nerd, nerd about me. things, and, and put them in numbered lists. Yeah, yeah that is a really geeky thing. <laughs> just, the list, the list. Yeah, it's just like we, get, we have things that we like, let's just put them in a numbered list because that's a thing yeah. to do. That is what I, I've done that ever since I was like 13 years old. It is the way of the geek. Paul. It is the way of the geek, you know, and I never even realized it. All that time when I was a kid, I tried to pretend that I wasn't because it wasn't cool wasn't at all. It wasn't cool, yeah. Yeah, but, but clearly I was. Now we just embrace it because it's yeah. awesome. It is awesome. And, and in this case, we get to rank our top five holiday movies. And so, uh, thank you for getting me back on track. Uh, no, that's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got to get you back in that list. Punchy. Um, you know, there are going to be some that don't make no. the top five. Um, one that was tough for me to leave out of the top five, Paul, was uh, Babes in Toyland, and not the Drew Barrymore one. No, you've you've actually not seen the, Drew the original yeah, Babes the in Laurel Toyland. Laurel and Hardy Babes in Toyland. <laughs> totally, de- like I still quote it. I still quote it. There's a scene where, like, one of them takes a piece of meat and is eating it and is like, that's not pig, that's pork. I quote that all the time. All the time. Because I think it's such a, like, it's such a statement now in our culture today even of how frequently we misunderstand and misrepresent what is and what is not. Totally, like, out of naivete. You know, that's not pig, that's pork. And then we get really pissed that, like, somebody would dare tell us that that was pig. So anyways, um... (laughs) But it didn't make my top five. Yeah. Uh, you know, other ones, uh, While You Were Sleeping. While You Were Sleeping? While You Were Sleeping. Is that the Drew, not the Drew Barrymore. <laughs> it's the Julia Roberts? No, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Yeah, it's a Sandra Bullock, you know, where she pretends to be like the fiance of this guy who's yeah. in a coma and all, falls, in, like, falls in love with the brother and all that kind of fun, wacky stuff yeah, that, that happens like a, in real life. That you sounds know. like a gentle Christmas movie. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a holiday movie, and it, it was fun and it's quirky, but it wasn't quite what I wanted for my top five. So that also it was out. got the axe. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions that didn't make your top five? You know, I had... See, I made a couple of different lists because I didn't quite know which way I wanted to go with this. So I, I do have some honorable mentions. White Christmas with... Bing Crosby and Danny Kay. It is the schmaltziest, most sentimental piece of schlock you've ever seen, and yet I kind of like it. You know, it's you one have of those an affinity for that kind of stuff. Exactly. I saw it when I was like seven years old, and when you, whenever you see anything when you're seven, it's it just like sort of sticks. In the rain. No, I like singing <laughs> in the rain because it's a great movie, Jake. And it's schmaltzy. I I didn't include Elf. 
Ooh. I didn't include Elf. And part of the reason was, honestly, I probably, I've only seen it once. And I remember uh. enjoying it. But I don't remember that much about it. Interesting. So, yeah, so I, I'm going to have to see it again. But I know that I loved it back when I saw it. So, yeah, Elf didn't make the cut. Didn't make it. All right, so without further ado, let's get into the ones that did rise above and become the cream of the crop, if I may use such an old expression that nobody knows what it means. <laughs> what is the cream of the crop? Is there cream in crops? Is cow's milk considered it's way a crop? Too early for this. It's way too early. <laughs> let's just abandon the. Let's talk about our cows' crops. Is that why we can say there's cream in the crop? <laughs> no, they're not. They are not crops. Uh, they're livestock. They're not crops. Correct. Yeah. You, you're. I know this. Yeah. That's what. Like, it's a silly. It's a ridiculous question to say. Why do we call things the cream of the crop? It's just. It's. it's it doesn't. It, it yeah. sounds like mixing metaphors. Let's it just does. be real. But uh, Paul, without further ado, <laughs> what's your number five? <laughs> All right. So. Like I say, I was I made up a couple of different lists because I didn't know exactly which way I wanted to go, but uh, I did. I I took a little bit of license here, Jake, and I threw in movie length feeling Christmas special. All right, let's go for it. So my number five Christmas movie Christmas special. Yep. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph. Because Bumbles bounce, bro. Bumbles bounce. It I'm is. Gonna get a T-shirt that says hashtag BBB. Bumbles bounce, bro. Anyways. <laughs> no, it's a great. I mean, everybody knows this one, right? I mean, yeah. it's just it's one of those all-time classics. Hermie the dentist. I want to be a dentist. I want to be a dentist. It was. I just loved it when I was a kid, and every time I watch it, like there was a period of, of time when I was a teenager where, of course, all that stuff wasn't cool. But I ended up watching those things. You were often. hipster before there was hipster. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, way, way before. No, it was it was one of those things where I watched it, and I was surprised how entertaining it was. And tense, the abominable snowman. It's a very tense movie. Yeah, which is actually why I didn't make my top five. One of the reasons. Oh, really? Yeah, because when I was a kid, whenever I saw it, it was it was weirdly intense yeah. for me, and like emotionally intense for me. Yeah. So that it wasn't a bad movie. It was just like I didn't love it. Yeah. It was like that kind of like made me – I don't remember how old I was. I was fairly young. It made me kind of nervous. Yeah. No. I, and I, I didn't like that, that feeling at Christmas. Well, and the other thing is it was really sad. You go to the Isle of Misfit Toys and you see all those big teardrops falling. It's just – it's a sad movie. It's a scary movie. It's a – it has everything. Yeah. Laughter, tears, tension, joy. Yeah. Romance! And it has Yukon Cornelius, who is Yukon, one of my favorite stop-motion characters great. of all time. Yeah. And there's something, too. Like, I like stop-motion, but there was something about the stop-motion that they use in that movie. And um, and then just, like, the animation – not the animation style, but the art direction yeah. of that one. And I think uh, there's one other one that I'm forgetting now that – was also a little intense in and of itself. It wasn't quite the soft stop motion of a Wallace and Gromit right. or a Chicken Run. Though Chicken Run in itself got pretty creepy at the it end. It did, yeah. With the woman sticking the axe in her mouth. But yeah. anyways, I think all that kind of contributed to why, to me as a young child, whenever – maybe I saw it too young. Well, like, Again, I liked it, but it, it was like not the feeling I wanted yeah. in a Christmas movie. Well, it's such a surreal experience. you know. I think that we, we get sort of conditioned to, to know what certain things are supposed to look like. Yeah. And you know, back in the day, you had live action, you had cartoons. And there was this, here was this stop action thing that sort of fell down from the, 
from the ether, and <laughs> and just sort of it Why looked would totally watch different. This? Yeah. yeah, it was it was just and because of that, it sort of gives me like I had the same feeling when I watched um, Yellow Submarine, the Beatles Yellow Submarine, because okay, yeah. even though it was animated, it was such a different type of animation right. that because it had sort of this sense of surrealness, it just sort of throws you a little off kilter, and I like off kilter. There you go. Uh, well, as you guys will see, I like off-kilter as well. There's definitely a theme to my list that will become apparent as we go from five to one. So number five on my list is Jingle All the Way, starring one Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and one Sinbad. <laughs> this already – I have never heard of this movie. What? And I want to see it now. You've Arnold, never – No. You've never even heard of it? Well, I'm sure I did back in the oh, day. Oh, my word. But it was definitely not a movie that I said, I – <laughs> Gotta see that. But Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, that sounds like a match made in heaven. Really. It really, you know, it is. Like, it's ne- it's never going to make the top list of, like, this is an amazing movie. You know, it, it is what it is. It's taking Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad and sticking them in a family Christmas movie, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's a ridiculousness that, in my opinion, actually ends up working mm. and becoming a kind of a cult classic all in itself is very quotable. It's one of those where I feel like the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it because it's just the, the interaction, the taunting of Sinbad and the cluelessness of Arnold as he's trying to like, it's all about trying to get that must have Christmas toy for your kid. And these two dads that are trying to do whatever they can to get the must have Christmas toy for their kids. And it gets ridiculous. Like with little person, Santa Clauses doing ninja nunchuck moves with uh, peppermint sticks. Like it gets absolutely insane. <laughs> um, and, but yet it, for me, again, the dumbness of it totally works. It, it becomes charming. So it's very quotable. So is this a movie that you, you watch Oh, and it's got every... Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. Oh, no. That's totally a winner. Yeah. Yeah. I love Phil Hartman. So is this a movie that you watch every year? Uh, you know, it pretty close to it. I, I, I feel like I've probably missed a couple of years here and there. Like, And my wife... Like I guess the honorable mention I should have thrown out there earlier is that my wife will watch Christmas with the Cranks every single year from here to eternity. <laughs> so Jingle All the Way hasn't quite made that status, but we will watch it most years. All right. So there you go. All right. Number All right. four. Number for four. Paul. Number four. This is a little off kilter from definitely the rest of my list, but I think most people would actually consider this a Christmas movie. All right. Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah, I mean it. It is roundly considered a Christmas movie. Yeah, you've got the like tree. Like, so. You've got the, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's takes place. it's not a Christmas movie. No. It's a movie that takes place right Christmas. This is not a movie that I watch to get into the holiday spirit. <laughs> but it is one of, I think it's one of the very best action movies, movie, movies ever made. Yeah. You know, it is just sort of a thrilling ride from the beginning to the end. I, and, and it really has... Uh, one of the greatest performances, uh, I think, of all time. The the guy who plays the bad guy. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, he, he came is up, just I think so he was on fantastic. Your, your top bad guys, villains list. Yeah, yeah, he totally should have been nominated for an Academy Award. Gruber. For, for, yeah, Gruber. Gruber. I know it's not him, sorry. That's, <laughs> that's SNL. But. <laughs> yeah, so you got to throw Die Hard in. At least I do. I mean, I think I think that it's an excellent movie that just happens to take place at Christmas time. I mean, Die Hard is the Christmas movie for all the guys out there that hate all the Hallmark classics or the girls that hate all the Hallmark classics and they're like there's so much of this weird 
tepid romance and like everybody's finding an angel and getting married to angels at Christmas or princesses and princes and it's like Oh my word! Can somebody just blow some stuff up? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, so I think that's why Die Hard was doing. If, if this podcast is still going this time next year, that's what we're doing. We're reviewing Hallmark movies. Ooh, that's a great idea. All right, um, all right. Number four for me is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Another one that I've never seen. Holy cow! You've never seen that on my what is this? My backlist. What is happening? Because I think I think National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is not only one of the top Christmas movies. I think it's the best vacation movie. Really? Yeah. Personally, I mean, Vacation. National Lampoon's Vacation is is a classic itself, and they're kind of cult classic movies. Right. Right. But I think Christmas Vacation one. It's more accessible. It's PG thirteen instead of R. Uh, which made it easier for you know my parents to let me see it versus the R-rated right, vacation right. movie. Um, but again, I think it's all it's it's also infinitely relatable just because with the holiday they bring in the family, the extended family, and there's so much that you can you can resonate with with the crazy extended family. Like there's something for everyone in that, and so there's just there's the wacky. You know, extended family that comes in their beat-up RV, and there's the bickering aunt and uncle, and the crazy old great aunt that nobody really remembers, but everybody <laughs> brings along. You know, and she wraps up her cat, and you know, um, <laughs> yeah. puts cat food in the Jello, and oh you know, goodness. a squirrel gets into the house, and the lights don't light up, and like it's just absolute chaos. And it's, I think, one of Chevy Chase's funnier movies. I mean, he's done some funny stuff, but I think it's one of his that works and is more accessible than yeah. many others. And of course, you've got Julia Louise Dreyfus in a camp in a cameo as a crazy, selfish neighbor, and just it's it's a zany, wild ride, and I think it's a lot of fun. It, 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 there's even kidnapping. Kidnapping. Yeah. Oh, perfect. What is a what is a holiday movie without kidnapping? without some good old family kidnapping? Yeah. No. It, it, and I think that that. What you were seeing, Jake, is a little dirty secret of mine. I am not a big holiday movie fan. Yeah. Like, uh, when I see something that has Christmas in the title, I don't run out and see it. Yeah. So, to hear what you say about about Christmas Vacation, though, that sounds like a movie I might have to check out. Yeah, I think you would, again, it, it's the Christmas movie, both, it's the Christmas movie like Die Hard in that it's not, even though it's much more enmeshed in Christmas, it's not your standard schlock it's there's not schmaltz it's kind of un it's kind of unraveling all the perfect christmas stuff that these other movies might have but not in a terrible way it doesn't subvert it like sure say, bad santa does right or no, something no no like that. no it's, it, it still it, wants it pokes, to it pokes fun and yeah. yet it sort of supports the idea that this is still kind of a cool thing yeah right? and a good yeah and a good way to bring family together so yeah you're right it doesn't totally undercut it yeah, yeah. and i like that subversive but not you know taking a stick mean spirited exactly yeah all right all right number three number three for me how the grinch stole christmas the cartoon i'm the presuming, cartoon not the, not the jim carrey one <laughs> jim carrey will never make a top five <laughs> jim carrey will never make a top five for me i will tell you that much but but this one really works the the old animated version it is just it is just a hoot I don't know why I still find that stupid thing so funny, but it, but it it really may be the most entertaining Christmas special. You actually find it funny. I find it 
funny. It is a riot. I love Max, the little dog that they yeah. tie the reindeer antlers on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's something about the the guy who does it. I think he used to be an old animator for for Looney Tunes when Looney Tunes was at their absolute best. He he directed all the most classic Looney Tune cartoons. And uh, this one was done by the same guy. It's narrated by Boris Karloff. And it is just a stellar hoot from beginning to end. Plus, the thing is, I love these movies that can be honest to goodness, super funny, and still be pretty darn sweet at the end. And this one is really sweet. You see all the who's gathering around. They sing. It talks about the real meaning of Christmas. Well, not the real meaning of Christmas, but sort of the emotional meaning of Christmas where it's togetherness, the presents don't matter. That was a nice thing for me to see when I was eight years old and presents really did matter to me a lot. And and I think that it's just a great show. It's interesting because I never really think about it, and it, and it's been a while since I've seen it. So oh, you've got to see it. I have seen it a few times, but it's probably been 15 years since the last time I watched the cartoon, and uh, I don't remember the humor very yeah. much. So, like, I kind of remember the sentimentality uh, more than anything. Yeah, and also it terrified my my <laughs> you younger brother, not me. Oh, really? My younger brother. Uh, so the one right, my brother Jess, like it it terrified him. He cannot stand the Grinch. Really? Like, well, he does have a even, really creepy smile. Yeah, even now as an adult, like, I think he's okay. He's not going to send him screaming or anything like that. But it creeped him out really bad as a kid. Like, we couldn't watch it yeah. around him yeah. because he just got so freaked out. Yeah. So that probably contributed to why I didn't see it that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that if you watch it again this year, and I would recommend that you do, Pay special attention to the sledding scene when they're actually sledding down to Whoville. Yeah. One of the funniest cartoons I've ever seen. All right. I'm going to have to maybe give it another shot and hopefully not scar my own kids. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number three for me is Elf. I know it didn't make your list. Oh, yeah. This is one. uh, Elf is not a perfect movie. It it does slow down in kind of the last third of the movie, maybe quarter maybe uh, and it gets a little bit more sentimental and less zany the way it is in the first uh you know two thirds to three quarters of the movie however that the whole like the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts in my opinion you know the first parts of the movie from when you get to meet buddy the elf in the north pole and when you get to see him journey you know, across land and sea and try to incorporate with his family and figure out how to live life in this big city is just, it's one of Will Ferrell's bests, I think. You know, it's its so accessible. You know, yeah. you don't have to worry about showing your kids because he's not going to drop any foul language. It's or just PG, humor. right? It's just PG. And, and it, so it feels very innocent because that's what Buddy the Elf is. Yeah. And yet there's so much great comedy in there. You know, great snowball fights with slow motion and the things he eats and the way he, he just does not understand the quirks of modern society because he's so optimistic and yeah. his, 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 just his enthusiasm is infectious. Yeah. And, and I think part of why I like it and why it made it so high is – is that enthusiasm, that childlike spirit that he has? Yeah, you know, what, like if you take that out of the context of sure, Santa's not real, but man, isn't that how we kind of all wish the holidays were? Like where we all acted this way and believed, like the 
that we could bring out the best in each other yeah. and take care of each other and do good thing and do kind things for each other yeah. and and make other people's lives better and i think that spirit that runs through the heart of elf makes it kind of an aspirational movie as yeah. much as it is a comedy yeah it, it, three things to add to that number 1 bob newhart bob oh, newhart bob makes newhart everything best. better that he's in um number 2 will ferrell has made some really foul really terrible movies but man when he is on he is one of the funniest guys out there and i think he was definitely on and number three i think when you look at sort of you have certain holiday movies that sort of reach to this realm of classicness right you've got miracle on 34th street it's a wonderful life a christmas story and and i think that oddly enough Elf, elf was made in 2003 I think it's on that list. I mean, I think it is sort of moving away from just sort of a fun movie to watch into one of these all-time holiday classic type of movies. Yeah. Yeah, I remember having conversations when it came out about whether or not it could had the legs to be that type of movie. And I think now that we're almost 15 years on, I think it's going to. Yeah. No, it's, it's an odd movie to put on that list in some ways. But I really do think, I mean, people just, that the movie moves them. For all the reasons that you stated, I think. And, and that's that's a very legitimate reason to, to just love it, you yeah. know? That's so quotable. Yeah, absolutely. Again, which is a great trait in a movie. Speaking of longevity, let me talk about my number two pick. Number two. One more Christmas special for me. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Of course. It is, you know, I think all these, all these it's interesting that all these holiday specials that I've talked about, I actually didn't really do a lot of traditional movies at all on this list, but all of them were made in the 1960s. And uh, you're a nostalgic guy. Yeah, and these were the things that I grew up with. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas was made in 1965. Was the first one of these Christmas specials, I think. No, Rudolph was 64. But uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, I think, really has everything. It is amazing to me, and in, in, in when you look at the the When you look at the special now, how current it feels, because it really takes on sort of the commercialization of Christmas, how how we sort of demean Christmas by making it such a big deal. And it is one of the the slowest-paced shows ever. You think that that it would have had to have been made in the 1960s, because after Sesame Street, you could not make a show that just sort of had these long sequences with this little piano jazz playing in the background it's a very very gentle show um but it's really compelling i think and it's really sweet um it's it resonates with me every year even though i think i can i could almost quote it verbatim yeah well and and schultz was so good about that in his comics and in the the specials that he Mm. did was somehow finding the poignancy in the quiet Right. And drawing that out with his art style and with the music and with even the lack of sound, you know, the quietness of what he did. And, you know, that's one where, again, we've we've talked a lot about wasted time, slow pacing, things like that. It always felt very intentional and emotional when Schultz did it. Yes. 
totally agree. whether he was whether it was on the the page and you were reading a comic or whether it was on the screen and you were watching a, a special that he yeah. had done. So yeah, he used yeah. to live in Colorado Springs. Did you know that? I Charles did not Schultz. know that. Yeah, yeah, he used to have a house in in Colorado Springs. I, I think that it was a it was a house somewhere near downtown, and they actually they actually have a little picture that he drew for his daughter on yeah. one of the walls. Oh man. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, number two for me, and this this was a tough battle at at number one and two for me. Um, but number two for me is planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> so we're finally getting out of Christmas <laughs> and into the holiday, the holidays, movies, because this is a really a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> oh my goodness! It is rated R, guys. It, is it rated R? It is. But if you watch the TV edit, you wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. Because it's rated R because there's one scene where Steve Martin goes off. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, when his car, like, at the car rental company, yep. he comes up to the counter, and there's like eight-ish, about eight F-words in that one scene. Just right there. Just right there. It's all concentrated right there. Otherwise, it's more of a PG, PG-13 yeah. movie. Um, so, like, I first saw it. Where did I first see it? I think I actually did first see it on... VHS. Mm-hmm. So I did see it with the language, and I later saw it on TV. Uh, but, oh my goodness, this is John Candy and Steve Martin just going at each other verbally, and it is fantastic to watch. Uh, because John Candy, you know, he was, he was hit or miss. Right. He had some a lot of stuff that didn't land, but I think this movie with Steve Martin was one of those where it kind of brought out the best in him and, and his kind of bumbling, goofy, lovable, so irritating salesman character next to Steve Martin's high strung uh, businessman was just the perfect foil. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was so much comedy, both physical and verbal, between the two of them sparring. Yeah. That it's just quite the all out road trip buddy comedy that is with two people who hate each other or <laughs> one person buddy. who hates the other guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I remember seeing it actually in the theaters and I remember, you know, the, the one line that of course everybody remembers from that. Those aren't pillows. Those aren't pillows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a pretty funny movie. It is a pretty funny movie. And I think that Steve Martin, everything, Thing that I have seen him in, he brings something special to it, you know, and I think that, that you're right. I think that he brought out the best in John Candy. So let me ask you, if we were going to sign roles, who would be among us? <laughs> Between who, yeah, who would, be, who would be John Candy? Who would be Steve Martin? <sighs> Frankly, I don't feel like either of us fits either role very well, but if I had to assign it, I would probably say that I'm John Candy and you're Steve Martin. Yeah, I'd, I'd, even, I'd say that too. <laughs> even though I would love to say that I'm Steve Martin because, like, Steve well, Martin is my creative hero, like, as a as a, as a a creative, what yeah. he's done from stand-up to acting to writing to music to, like, the dude has done everything pretty yeah. much, like, in the kitchen sink. Oh, yeah. I love Steve Martin. He's great. Uh, but I am the the goofier, bumblier of the two of us. Well, and, and I think and that, you're the more straight laced. Like, oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? No, see, when you when you first mentioned it, that sort of that 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 bunny relationship, I was I was just thinking about just uh, you know how how lovably winsome you are as you go on. You're and and I'm looking at the clock. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that there's there's a certain inality that I think uh, Steve Martin 
I, I sort of associate with. So, all right, number one for you, Paul. Number one. Bring this it on. Is, yeah, this is a this is a natural thing. I think um, anybody who knows my affinity for old movies will not be surprised at this. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, Mary. It's, yeah, Mary. <laughs> that's my. That's very. Good. It's my Jimmy. Yeah, my no, Jimmy Stew. Yeah, no, it, it is. I think it, this is a movie of all of these. This is a movie that I will make a point to watch every single. You year. and the entire country. No, except it's, for me. I know. I know. Well, and I think that there is a certain bash, backlash to uh, to its wonderful life because it is so sentimental and yeah. it is so. So quotable. People just get sick of it, <laughs> and and I get that. But at the same time, there's something just really sweet about the whole movie, and and I I think I'm just sort of a sentimental guy at heart. Even yeah. though I do not go out of my way to watch holiday movies, I don't particularly like holiday movies a lot of the times. I, I feel like they're kind of sometimes their sentimentality can feel cynical to me. Yeah, this one feels very heartfelt, and. It has such a timeless story. You know, in a way, the core story of, of It's a Wonderful Life, the guy who has sacrificed so much for so many people, and then he goes and and decides that he's going to, you know, kill himself, and, and an angel comes back and, and shows him his life, what life would have been like without him. There is something timeless about that story. Yeah. I mean, I think that the story itself almost has sort of a Dickinsonian is that a word? Dickinsonian, I'd maybe Dickinsonian. Say. You know, it, it almost has such a such a classic tang to it that it, it almost is sort of like a Christmas Carol to me, where it becomes not just a story, not just a movie, but almost a fable. And I and I think that it really resonates with with all of us when we think about what what life would be like without us or the people who are closest to us. So I think yeah. it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, I mean, as much as it's not one that I flock to, just and not because it's a bad movie in any respect, but it, it's it's kind of, it feels long. It it it's it, it is heavy. Like yeah. it's again, it's not one of those where you're just like, oh yeah, it's going to be a real chipper, cheery movie like most of the ones on my list. Right, right. As you right. can see, that's what I'm trying to aspire to, and so I'm like, man, this one's so heavy, I don't really want to watch it. However, that being said, as much backlash as it may get from people pushing back against its popularity, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find people that say, that's a bad movie, or it's a terrible movie, or I don't like that movie. Even if it's not their favorite, it's a classic yeah. for a good reason. Yeah. And and it's one of those where if you end up watching it, you're like, okay, that was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake. So there you go. But... It's still, I mean, it can't. It just can't hold a candle to this next one. Oh my goodness! My number one. I mean, do you know where I'm going with this one, Paul? I think about my age. What movie am I going to pick here? Uh, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> exactly right. No Country for Old Men is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. <laughs> you heard it here first. No, it's Home Alone. Oh, Home Alone! It's Home Alone. How old were you when that thing came out? Um. I was pretty young. I I wouldn't have seen it in theaters. Let me. I forgot to look at the exact year, but but it it felt like my childhood, right? You know, not, because you were always left home because I was always rich. Your, no, your, um, your parents always zipped off to you. I was not you. rich. My parents didn't zip off. Like I didn't resonate with it that. Explains but, a lot. Uh, I was I was actually only one years old when this movie came out. <laughs> so there you go. Um, <laughs> 
How about them apples? Uh, oh, this, but, is, this is the portion of the show where I feel really old. But even if even if I wasn't rich like the McAllisters, even if I wasn't getting left home alone by my parents, this was a time that I remember. This is a time that I resonate with, where there's a lot of feelings of nostalgia. Even though I, I was a little, it's a little bit older than I am. It was it, this. This time period in American culture feels very familiar to me. And this is a movie that I did watch from a pretty young age and was just so wonderful to see a child as a hero in a goofy way. I still, to this day, have never seen Joe Pesci in anything else. <laughs> like I've, I've, I've had a hesitancy to watch Joe Pesci in anything else because I've heard he's a total B.A., like in like a crazy hitman, I'm like I love him as the bumbling, irritated um, Harry in this yeah. movie, and I love Daniel Stern as Marv. Like they're the perfect foils for each other and for Kevin McAllister, and and just that feeling of you know kids feel put upon, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times, and Kevin McAllister, for all of his flaws, is put upon. Yeah, well, and and I think that it really taps into sort of these fantasies that kids have. I mean, I think. Kids want to be the hero. They're really tiny and they know that they can't, but they really want to be the hero and they know that they could if they just had the ability. Right. And they also love sort of these these Rube Goldberg contraptions, oh, you know? Fantastic. And and I think that that it's the sort of movie where had I been younger, I, I watched it and I really liked it when I watched it, but I was older. Um, had I watched it when I was when I was Kevin's age, oh my goodness, I would have loved it. It might have been my favorite movie of all time just because of all the contraptions, all the effort that he puts into capturing these right. these criminals. It was just it's a delightful movie. It really is. And and it's and it's all the stuff he has around him so it feels very accessible to you as a kid and I always wanted all the mannequins in the in the basement. Though. I mean, <laughs> what kind of house has mannequins kind of just creepy, stuffed right? in the basement? Real weird. Yeah. Um but uh but but also the slapstick humor really lands, and we don't get as much of that anymore. We don't get as much of the slapstick. It's kind of kind of been dying over the years, yeah. and this was truly great slapstick humor. Yeah, no, just you're, real great physical comedy. You are definitely a slapstick type of guy, and I think a lot of guys are. You know, I think that I think we appreciate that that banana peel type of yeah. slippage. Well, there's so something we, there's something to that physicality, the yeah. physicality of humor that I think gets lost in kind of today. Today we have a lot of witty humor. Or we've got right. a lot of like crass humor, shock and gag yeah. type humor. And there's still something I think it gets a bad rap for being unrefined. Right. It, and but it is unrefined si- and it is simple. It is. But. But at the same time, there's still an art form to it. It's I, not as easy as we maybe assume, because it is a simple and unrefined form yeah. of comedy, doesn't mean that it's always crass or no, and, and, or inappropriate. And really, this conversation has gone full circle because immediately when I think about great slapstick, I think Lauren Hardy. Yeah, you know they really it they it shows what an art slapstick humor can be physical right. comedy can be and it, it's just it can be tremendous yeah you look funny. at what they did you look at what the marx brothers did yeah and the other thing about it is in in some ways this almost hits home for the christmas season slapstick humor as simple as it is is universal everybody laughs when someone gets hit in the head with a ladder yeah. i don't know what it is because because we've all been there <laughs> 
It looks funny, and we know they're probably okay. Yeah. So we don't feel like we don't feel as yeah. bad about it. If it happens to us in our backyards, it's not funny it's at all. Funny at all. <laughs> but then when we see it, we're like, I know what that's like. And now that I look back on it, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Like, so there you go. Those are our top five holiday movies. Uh, they ended up being mostly Christmas, but that's okay. Yeah. Let us know. Did you like New Year's Eve? Did you like planes, trains, and automobiles? Are there other holiday movies that we missed? I know there's one when about Harry turkeys. Met Sally. When Harry met Sally, that I actually, been... I actually ate at the table where Harry met Sally. In, no, inside the the deli. Oh, the famous deli yeah. scene. Yep, I I had what she was having. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I've never seen what Harry. I've never seen what Harry met Sally. But I I go to this deli. I've always wanted to go to this deli because. They talked about it in The Hardy Boys when I was a kid. And I was like, I got to go to this deli. And so I sit down and I look up and it's like, this is where Harry met Sally and that's what she was having. And that's what I'm – this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm sitting right next to movie history. So there, there you go. go. There you go. And that's it for Rank Geeks. Now it's time to talk about what's going to happen to your local Cineplex. <laughs> now for something completely different. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Monty Python. <sighs> Paul? <laughs> that was a nice deep sigh. <laughs> a deep sigh to start the segment. Paul, I like to stream things. Mm. A lot of us like to stream things. Oh, yeah. We're all streaming fiends. We are islands in the stream. Point. And uh, the digital era is fully upon us. We can watch whatever we want, whenever we want it, almost however we want it. Pretty close to it. I can watch in VR, basically, at this point. That's only going to grow. I can watch on my phone, my tablet, my computer, my TV, my game console, whatever I want. Whenever I want. What does this mean for the movie theater? Yeah. The illustrious movie theater that is... Just now, around 120 years old, the oldest – here's a piece of trivia for you. Do you know where the oldest continuously operating movie theater in America – actually, in the world, certified by Guinness World Records is? I'm going to say New York. That's what you'd think. You'd think it'd be like New York or L.A. Right. It is in a little town in Iowa. A little town in Iowa. Washington, Iowa has the oldest continuously operating theater. It turned 120 years old in 2017. Wow, that's amazing. I hope State theater. I hope they've upgraded their sound system. They've upgraded their sound system. They've up, they, they haven't upgraded their popcorn machine since the 40s because people like the old popcorn machine. But they've upgraded. You can watch 3D movies yeah. there. It only costs you six bucks yeah. to see a 3D movie at this theater in Iowa. I'm moving to Iowa. Yeah. No, I, you know, and it's a really interesting question, and, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, actually. Um, I'm actually going to a movie later on today at the Mayan in Denver, which is one of the— That's a fun little theater. It is a classic old-time theater where it has all this, all this decoration. It, has, it, it was made in a time in the 1930s or 40s where, where going to a movie was a huge event, and so you have these movie palaces that— that are decorated up to the up to the hilt, and, and it just has this old classic charm to it. It's not like sort of the mall theaters that we're sort of used to today. And there's something really wonderful about that atmosphere there. Um, 
I and as a person who goes to to movies a lot, I spend a lot of time in movie theaters and in being the type of person that I am, I've done some thinking about how movie theaters are in some ways analogous to to sort of a secular church. You know, you go in, you have these rituals that you you do when you go into theaters. You're focused in on something. It is it is almost you could almost classify You're experiencing it. something emotionally with others. Exactly, it, it becomes it, when the movie's good, when the experience is good, it can become a transcendent experience. And in in some ways, it almost does feel like a sacred space. Like you you don't text, you don't talk. It's all dark. It's it just is this very protected space. And so there's something. Both, um, there's something kind of beautiful about that. But at the same time, do you need that experience? Is, is that experience in the movie theater intrinsic to the movie experience? Yeah, or is it an archaic throwback right. to yesteryear? Like, do we need it anymore? Right. So let me ask you, because you're a youngin', um, would you miss movie theaters if they just vanished? I actually would, and I think this is uh, this is an interesting thing for me because I I don't go to that many movies in the theater. I go to a handful a year um, because I enjoy watching movies at home. That I have access to a lot of them. It's cheaper. I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't have to get dressed. You know, I <laughs> you, you can just sit around in your bathrobe if you yeah, want. Yeah, I can. I, and I don't. I don't. As an introvert, I don't need the communal experience. Right. Um, however, that being said, I have always, since I was a little kid, enjoyed the theater experience. It, and I think weirdly, because I've seen this co- crop up in some in some uh, people's conversations recently, I've also enjoyed it by myself. I don't I don't need there to be people there. I don't need there to be, even though I enjoy there to be a communal experience with other people, and I don't not like going with other people. I actually really enjoy going by myself. And Mm. like some of my favorite times have been sitting in a theater where there was literally no one else. Yeah. And it was just me in this massive screen. Maybe it was that, that, that large family kid in me, where it's like, there was always people around. And as an introvert, it was just like, Oh, look at this. I got my throne. I got my screen. I have what I want to watch. And it's just me. (laughs) Like maybe that's what's coming out there, but I really enjoy the theater experience. Mm -hmm. So I would be sad to see them go away. And there's a lot of people that think they might, Yeah. but one interesting thing about, you know, that I think gives, some context what you're talking about is you know what a theater can be right when you look at the history of the theater over 120 years now it is surprisingly resilient yeah it is they it thought has, tv was going to kill the theater they thought tv was going to kill the theater they thought that vhs's were going to kill the theaters and then maybe dvds because those were in high def and now it's oh now it's streaming that's going to kill it but not not even a world war not even two world wars could yeah. kill this where economies tanked and people had to theaters thrived yeah in those situations because they became these communal places we could rally around where we weren't where we weren't fighting about religion or politics or race or anything else it was a place where we could come and enjoy something together yeah it's really truly one of the few unifiers yeah. in our culture no, over the last 120 years. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And again, it's sort of that it's again sort of gets back into that sacred space in a sense, you know, this secular sacred space. Um, because you do have people who come together from all walks of life. And in some ways it seems like 
when I think about it, the theater may be as important as it ever has been in certain ways because we're so fragmented now. And, and yes, entertainment that we can get at home is so good. I mean, the entertainment, t- television has never been better in a lot of respects. I mean, it, it's it's deep, it's powerful, it's all that kind of stuff. And you have access to so much of it. The TVs are so great. Just the physical yeah. TVs are so great. There's, there's not as much incentive to go out and see something on a big screen as much anymore because all of our screens are big. Yeah, huge screens. All the sound systems can be fantastic. And so, but at the same time, there aren't very many places where we can go and experience something communally. You have you have church, you have sporting events, and you have the theater. Really, those are the three big things I think that, that you do together. And you and I are both introverts. Both of us probably, if left to our own devices, would be just fine being shut in our in our rooms, you know, watching Netflix or whatever. Um, we don't necessarily need that. And yet, when I'm in a theater, there's something, there's something powerful about it when you're there with other people. There's a certain energy that you can't duplicate at home. Um, and when you, have, when you have a really good movie, when you have a really powerful movie, when you look around and you see that everybody else is crying at these places or they're laughing all at the same time, there's an energy that is infectious. I think that we are inherently even though you and I are both introverts we as a as a species are social yeah and we need to have that that communal experience i think to really feel ourselves yeah but that being said again it, it's not that hard to invite our friends over to enjoy an episode of this is us or to watch a movie on dvd or Blu-ray now, or via Netflix, or whatever, however you're choosing to do it. Like, in fact, some of my favorite movie experiences of the last year have been a couple of friends and drinks and snacks, watching old movies, streaming via Amazon Prime, and like Mystery Science Theater 3000 them together. And those were awesome, and we can do that kind of stuff, like very easily because we have such vast libraries we're not we're not tied to needing the theater to see something yeah the way maybe think people were in the past you know now our options are so vast yeah so i'm not but i don't think so i don't think theaters are invulnerable no but here's here's the other thing and i'll i'll just mention this because it's really my experience i i have the same feelings and and thoughts that you do as far as as far as bringing people over some of my favorite moments have been just watching an old movie with friends making fun of it watching a a good movie with my wife we're just sort of sitting there we're absorbing it it's the home experience is great too when i was a kid there was an old movie theater that showed old movies um it was called the showboat named after a big old musical and my mom used to take us down there. This was this was in the days VHS was around, but we were too poor to afford it. They didn't. So our experience for movies was really primarily in the movie theater. Every week or two, my mom would drag me, sometimes me and a friend, to to watch some of these old movies. It gave me an appreciation for these old movies that I'm not sure if, even if my mom had plopped me down in front of the TV to force me to watch some of these things um, at home, because there's so many other things going around, um, I don't think I would have had the appreciation for the movies that I do now. I think that there's something about the movie theater experience that 
gives you a greater appreciation of the stories being told. Yeah, there's something there's so, there really is something too. And we don't talk about this a lot. There's something to the idea that the medium is the message. Right. And oftentimes with movies, we stop at oh, a movie is a medium. Right. But actually, you know, watching it on a theater screen yeah. is a medium. Watching it on your TV screen is a medium. Watching it on your phone or your tablet or your computer screen is a different medium yeah. that you're watching this movie in. And they are very different experiences. They really are. Like, you know, and you and, and you your brain just physically in these different settings because of the the how big they are, how small they are, how close they are, how far they are, like all these different factors, how many people are around you, they all impact the way we hear and see and interpret the stories that we're experiencing. Yeah. So you're right. There is a very different experience when you watch something on a massive screen, especially as a kid. Yeah. It is a big difference between getting to go somewhere new and exciting and sit in a big seat all to yourself and see this massive screen that is 100 times bigger than you and see these things yeah. is way different than mom being like, hey, I turned on the TV in the other room. You yeah. can go play in your room if you get bored. Like exactly. You're a captive audience. Exactly. Here. When you're in a movie theater, it, it is just, in some ways, it is just you and that movie. Right. And when you're watching it at home, you know, the laundry might be going in the background. The lights might be on. People are coming back and forth. You're pausing it to get snacks, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, there's but there's it all a does of, change the the nature and flavor. It changes the experience, and I think it makes the movie watching experience a little bit less special. No. Um, now that's not to that's not to minimize what you're saying. I mean, just the just because a movie theater is a is a really cool and thing, in my opinion, doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to stay. Right. Well, you know? and, and there are a lot of factors that make it inhibitive, the, pr- the cost being a huge one. Mm-hmm. It, it, if I go on the cheap day to my local theater here in Colorado Springs, it's still going to cost me 7 bucks yeah. for a ticket. And if I happen to miss the cheap day, it's going to cost me 11 bucks right. for one person. So it's like now if I want to take all my kids, we were thinking about it. Like, hey, maybe for Thanksgiving this year, let's ditch all the parties and like go do a buffet and go do a movie. Just be real American <laughs> consumers, you know? And, <laughs> and it, we didn't do it, guys. We didn't do it. But we thought about it. But it was like that would cost me – Taking all my, my wife and my kids, that would cost me like 50 plus yeah. bucks. Like, and that's with, and that'll be more once my kids get older. Yeah, yeah. And that, like, that's pretty prohibitive. I can't do that all the time. Yeah, no. And, and then my house is pretty comfortable. I have a really nice, comfortable chair. When I can red box something or download it, it's two to five bucks. Like, that's way more accessible to me with a family yeah. than a theater is. Now, now, let me ask you this Are there movies that you would go out of your way to see in a theater? And are there movies that you specifically wait because you think, oh, this is going to be just as good on TV? Yeah, no, I I do do that specifically. With the few that I get to see every year, like I look at the ones that are going to be big, the the big budget extravaganzas. extravaganzas. I'm like, I want to see those in theaters. Your Thor Ragnaroks, your Dunkirks, your – um, maybe even your Logan, so that was kind of on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, but those big budget movies that have lots of effects and lots of stuff happening, I love to see those on the big screen. Lord of the Rings, come right. on. Right. Like, even though that is a great movie still on the small screen, it was something else you, in a yeah. theater. To have that experience, to have that huge, huge screen, and no matter how big our screens get, you just can't get sort of that towering right. sense of that Lord of the Rings really brings out. And, right. and it's interesting that you talk about Dunkirk because they're actually – it was released back in in the summer. Yeah, they're bringing it back 
into theaters because I'm so glad to hear that because I didn't get to see Dunkirk, oh, and, and that it, was one I wanted to see in theaters. It is worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah. Not as much. This is an interesting thing. Not as much for the visuals, but for the audio. Right. The audio really is powerful in the theater, and and I think that there is just something special about that. Yeah. You know, and and I I still am on the lookout for some of those old classic movies. You know, the Lawrence of Arabia's that that when they sometimes go back onto the big screen because that's how they were meant to be seen. You can still get the sense of the story. You can still get a sense of the of the visuals. But, man, to see Lawrence of Arabia in that just expanse of desert over a 100-foot screen. Feels different. It feels different. It feels more like a desert. Yeah. And so, you know, in order to survive, though, like, I think theaters can take that for granted, mm-hmm. that idea that this is a sacred space. Of course, people are going to keep coming. And not adapt, and I think that would actually be a problem because eventually the cost is going to become too prohibitive uh, to people going. So I think – and this is I think what we're seeing with theaters is they're kind of moving – and they've done this in the past – moving into more of a luxury experience. Right. Putting in the recliners, having higher quality food, giving you alcoholic beverages, things like that to attract you to say, we will make this an amazing – we'll make this worth – the extra money right. you have to pay. Right. And and this is not a new tactic for theaters. That was why – I mean that was movie palaces. And in fact, did you – like interestingly enough, movie theaters uh, were one of the first like or, uh, industries to do air conditioning way back when. Like they were the first ones to start widely incorporating that. That was part of the draw of coming in to see yeah. a movie was get out of the heat, get some air conditioning, watch this movie, be entertained. So theaters, you know, have the advantage of we all want comfort. We all want we all have these creature comforts that we want. Food and drink and and cozy seats and comfortable temperatures. And so I think you're going to see theaters try some new we already are seeing theaters try these new gimmicks to justify their high price point. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that can weather again once another another yeah. challenger. Yeah, although you know it's interesting because when you say when you talk about comfort, and and I know we have to move on, but but just thinking about that, I think that the charm of movies has always been since their inception back in the 1910s, 1920s, it has always been an escape. Yeah, and I think that I think personally. That movie theaters are going to stick around because they still represent that escape. As good as our home environments have become for the movie watching experience, there's something kind of cool about just getting away to a different place where you can forget about you can forget about dinner, you can forget about work, you can you can actually go into a totally unique space yeah, it's and get lost. Virtual reality. Yeah. And, and in some ways, you know, it, it goes against what, what I typically tell people to do when they go into movie theaters. Go in with your brain fully engaged. But there is a certain – the charm of movies is really about escaping. Right. You can think through these things, but you're thinking through them in a context that's very different from your own. Right. And I think that there's – in today's world where there is so much ook – so much depressing news, so many stresses, so many things to get angry or sad about. Um, I think that theaters still provide a little bit of an oasis in, in in the stormy seas of life. No better way to wrap up than that. <laughs> it's time for the most least important thing.
Welcome to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single show by bringing you the most important, or least important, things that you need to know. You decide. We report. Something like that. We're not Fox News. We're a pop culture <laughs> with fanboy know-it-all. All right. So this is a really interesting. My The thing that I'm bringing to the table is a movie called Mudbound. Mudbound. I just saw this uh, added to Netflix. Yeah, see, and this is an interesting thing. I I thought that this would make sort of a nice counterpoint to the whole theater discussion because Netflix is one of the companies that is trying to upend the whole movie theater business, you know? They are really interested in winning Oscars. They really want to be a movie distributor. And so... um, the last couple of years, they've released a certain number of, of movies that they've made, essentially, um, into theaters just to qualify for the Oscars. Mudbound is one of them, but it was never intended to be released like widely in theaters. It was always intended to sit on your, on your Netflix account. It is an amazingly interesting story. Hmm. It is not something... It, ironically, it's one of those movies that I think would have played out better on the big screen because it's a sweeping epic drama of the Deep South. It involves two families um, that that are farming this little muddy bit of land. One is... It, it's, it takes place in the 1940s. One of these families is white. They've owned the land for, for generations upon generations. The other family is black. This family has worked this land for generation upon generation without really any hope of ever getting off that land. They, they have a dream of actually buying their own parcel of land so they don't have to keep working for somebody else. And so it's these families intertwined on this, on this piece of land. It's a very... Uh, harsh movie to watch. There's an incredibly violent scene in it. Um, it can, it has some language in it, of course. Um, but in terms of a story, it's a really powerful, sweeping saga that that really takes a piece of 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 Americana that we don't often like to look at. Yeah, no, and that's what interests me about it. Is I was recently uh, in Washington D.C. and spent many hours inside the Museum of African American History, and I think there's a lot of Americana that we ha- don't see the stories behind the stories, where mm-hmm. we kind of see the facade and we don't see the story behind it. And I think Mudbound seems like it probably speaks into some of that, and it sounds like you're saying it does exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a powerful which story. Which I think is important to remember. It's yeah. hard to remember. It's not the type of movies that we want to see because we want to escape. Right. But I think they're the types of stories that we probably ought to see more often. Yeah, so, absolutely. Sounds pretty interesting. I have it added to my list, so I will have to – I have it added to my list, so I'll have to give it a – Give it a go. Uh, for me, my my most least important thing is a small thing that becomes a big deal and I think is a pretty interesting topic. And it's what do entertainers owe us as the audience? So a very popular YouTube show is Good Mythical Morning. It's hosted by Rhett and Link. They've got 10, they've Love got that like show. 12, 15 million subscribers, somewhere in that range. A lot of people watch it. Millions of views per episode. So they've recently launched a new season of Good Mythical Morning. They got new equipment and they got new staff. They're trying to expand it. They have a new format. And their audience is getting – some of their audience. Some of the audience is fine. But a lot of the audience is getting upset. Yeah. 
uh, because it doesn't look the same as it did before. And now it's a new format and we like the old way. And and so Rhett and Link are now addressing this via their shows and via like a podcast that they do called Ear Biscuits. They're now addressing the controversy to kind of talk through how they as entrepreneurs and entertainers are trying to navigate the changes in technology or trying to future-proof their show or trying to take care of the audience but also – figure out how to use YouTube well and and it's such it's an interesting thought to me like the way people will you know see this and be like ah these changes you've made I'm out right you've lost right me. you know can't believe you're such sellouts and there's this sense that we all have with our uh, the entertainers that we like that they owe us right yeah like that they owe us our enjoyment our own enjoyment yeah yeah well and it, and I think that it speaks to to just how lots of us just don't like change. I mean, if we love something, yeah. we love it just as it is. Never change. Yeah. I, I, when I look around oh. the city that we live in, Colorado Springs, and I see it getting built up, I think, no, this should be exactly the way it was when I was 17 years old. <laughs> Forget all this stuff out yeah. east. You know, it, and it's one of those things where I think that that we do get possessive. And in some ways, Fairly so. I mean, I totally understand Rhett and Link's point where they want to expand and they want to do different things. As a, as a creator, you want to do different things. And you, in some ways, you have to do different things. Yeah, to be able to survive and meet new audiences. And But at the same time, I mean, they are doing it for us. They're doing it for their fans. Right. And so they have to be responsive to those fans. And so it, it becomes a very interesting push-pull, I think. Yeah, the weird nature of entertainment is that we feel like it's for us, each of us individually, right? It's a very personal experience. How do I feel about this movie? How do I feel about this show? Did I like it? Did I not like it? And yet the people making decisions are having to make decisions for large groups of people and say, is this where we need to go to reach a large number of people and know that maybe there's a few people that are going to get caught up in the chaff? And it's an interesting dynamic with entertainment because you need money to make it. It's a business. And yet you need you need the sentiment, the positive sentiment of those to make that money. And so it's always a tricky balance and it's interesting to see it more and more impacting these mediums that came in as disruptors, you know, these free mediums, YouTube yeah. and podcasts and things like that that are now starting to feel those growing pains yeah. of – We've got to change to grow, but we can't abandon our original audience. And but we need to make money and reach new audiences. And you know what? Yeah, it's more of the same. Now it's it's interesting. And and you think about Rhett and Link. You know all these all these YouTube stars. They were originally attractive because they were so different. Right. And yet, their appeal is, is now that they're the same. They're exactly. The same. They they are now consistent. The same kind of difference. Yeah. Exactly. They they're they're. they're they become reliable, known entities. And when they want to become different again, it's a hard thing for us <laughs> It's fans. a hard thing. And we promise we'll never change unless we want to. <laughs> <laughs> then we totally will. <laughs> but for now, that's this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. Hey, if you like us a little bit, if you think we're good guys and you like to think of us as friends we like to think of you as friends throw us a little review on the uh, itunes or the stitcher wherever you listen to your podcasts helps us out a lot speaking of the business side of things <laughs> and be sure to follow us, us on facebook we're at pop culture with fan people and know-it-alls and on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson i'm at ac paul and uh talk to us we like to talk to you so talk back <laughs> at us we like this to be a dialogue not a one-way street <laughs> 
Speak for yourself. Speak for myself. But for now, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.